the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network, north to south, east to west, up and down, around the world by the World Wide Web. That's why it's called the World Wide Web of Deceit. www. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is broadcast in the ACT, Tasmania, New South Wales, South Australia, the Northern Territory, Queensland, Victoria and occasionally in West Australia. Another world, another time. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting this, today's program. You wonder what Anarchy is all about? A simple concept. Anarchos without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power and you share wealth. Simple concepts, very simple concepts which has been part of the human history, the human story over generations, countless generations, that struggle between those who want to centralise power and wealth, the one percenters, and those who want to decentralise power and wealth, the other one percenters those radical activists, those anarchists, socialists, whatever they like to call themselves, who are there fighting to decentralise power and wealth. Okay, let's move on. Let's look at the world. Isn't it a luxury to be able to look at the world? Well, it is. You can't do it when you're dead, they tell me. Although my friends, yes, I do have friends with religious beliefs, do think you can do you can, you can do it, but that's another story. Okay, let's start off. It's always nice, nice, you like the word nice, when you see a raid against an alleged terrorist plotter, and we saw one in Young in the last 24 hours, and I assume this gentleman's going to be charged with supporting Foreign fighters. I don't, know, I don't know how many people know that if you support for foreign fighters, that means giving them 25 bucks, it doesn't matter who they are, you could find yourself in prison for a very long time. But that's what the, that's what, I'm, what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Avalon Air Show. Interesting, isn't it? Here we have a man who's accused of you know fiddling with the electronics or something, trying to create some weapon for some um, middle-aged, not middle-aged, <laughs> middle-ages, middle-ages political movement which thinks, you know, that uh, all wisdom is in a little book and as long as you follow the all interpretation of that little book, the earth will be a wonderful place for all believers. Uh, he finds himself facing alleged 
serious charges, well, serious charges regarding the allegations which have been uh, raised, and I'm not in a position to comment on them, and I never will be, most likely. But I do. I am in a position to comment on the Avalon Air Show in Melbourne. The Avalon Air Show in Melbourne will be on the 3rd to the 5th of March. That's Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It is the biggest display of military hardware, military aircraft in the southern hemisphere. And it is promoted as a family-friendly event you buy tickets to go to. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, when you look at the two situations, I mean, the irony is almost overpowering. Now, I understand there will be some protests outside the Avalon Air Show just to raise the uh, questions in people's minds about what this show is all about. I mean, you've got the pretty planes and you've got the military hardware and you've got the buyers who've come there to have a look at the military hardware. So think about it. If you're thinking of going to the Avalon Air Show, taking the kiddies along to look at the you know, nice killing machines, think again. Think again. The irony is just overwhelming. Overwhelming. On the one hand, we have a man who most likely will spend a fair number of years in jail if found guilty of these alleged offences. And then on the other hand, we have instruments of mass murder which have been openly touted, sold, packaged in a very nice package which kiddies are allowed to go along to have a look at. So if you've got kiddies, keep them away. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, I'm excited. You can hear in my voice, you know, Joe Toscano, Joseph Toscano, the elderly Joe Toscano is excited. You've got to be careful at my age when you're excited because you get a heart attack and just, you know, crumble over the microphone. That's the end of it, especially if you're an atheist, because if you're an atheist, it's, it's a no-win situation, isn't it? If you're an atheist, death is the end of life and that's the end of it. But if you made a mistake and there is a guy out there, it's going to be eternal damnation, pitchforks and fire, not pleasant. So, but I am excited. I'm really excited. So if I collapse during the program through my excitement, ring triple O, okay? I'm excited because for the first time in 40 years, the land of Oz, the land down under, the neighbour of the land of the long white cloud, has a trade surplus. That's right. For the first time since 1975, the year the Whitlam Labor government was dismissed. That's right. They did have a trade surplus in 1975, believe it or not. We have, well, not we, the Australian people, have a trade surplus. Now, what is a trade surplus? Just in case you're not as excited as I am, because I want you to get really, really excited. But I may have to do some preparatory work, you know, some foreplay, political foreplay, to get you excited about the the trade fair, <laughs> trade surplus. This fair I got in my head because of the Avalon Air Show. All right. Trade surplus. I'm really excited, but I know I need to do a bit of massaging, a little bit of political foreplay to get you excited because I'm sure you're underwhelmed, underwhelmed by this fact. Well, 
What it means is, in plain English, is that the country has exported, in terms of <coughs> dollars and cents, more goods than it's imported. Wow. That is exciting. I hope you're getting excited. But unfortunately, you and I are not going to be in a position to enjoy this trade surplus. No, not because there's, you know, something at the Avalon Air Show is going to unleash a missile accidentally. No, 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 no. But because what at first glance seems to be a financial windfall for the people of Australia, windfall that can be used to build essential infrastructure, well, it seems that it's all illusory. Now, this trade surplus was achieved as a result of increasing prices for coal and iron ore. As a result of China embarking on a program on shutting down their coal industry, their local coal industry, to decrease very serious pollution problems in their country. In case you didn't know, and I'm sure you do know, China is currently embarking on the largest expansion of green energy production the world has ever seen. Drowning, the key word is drowning, in a sea of pollution. Diminishing air quality is having an impact on both individual health and production targets in the country. You know? Simple, isn't it? As they close down their cold fields, we kind of crank up ours in order to meet this temporary shortfall. And this temporary shortfall should last about three years. I mean, the country, China, not us, China's in the midst of a frantic expansion of solar, wind and hydroelectric activity. So... They're struggling, peddling very hard to try to achieve self-sufficiency as far as green energy is concerned because they have to. Because the consequences of their rapid industrialisation are just are becoming catastrophic. So in order, during this interim period of about three years, it needs to increase its importation of coal and iron ore, which just drives up the prices of these essential commodities, which means you and me get to, in the manner of Uncle Scrooge, swim in a, in a vault full of money. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this seems to be illusory. See, a trade surplus does not mean increased taxation revenue or increased company profits for Australian-owned companies. So a trade surplus does not necessarily mean increased taxation revenue for the federal government and increased profits for Australian companies. 
Because over 80% of all iron ore and mining activity in this country, including gold, diamonds, iron ore, you name it, is foreign-owned, is owned by overseas interests. And Australia's corporate-friendly taxation law means that very little taxation revenue is ever raised from increasing exports and a trade surplus. I mean, we still have corporate welfare in this country where billions of dollars of taxpayers' dollars are given to the mining sector in order to maximise their profits. Now, wages are not going to rise as a result of the trade surplus. So workers' buying power is not going to increase. And if if wages don't rise, there's no increased taxation revenue, is there? No increased taxation revenue from people uh, moving into higher tax brackets. So static wage growth, which is what we've had in this country for the last decade and which we'll continue to have for a number of years, it does not provide the increased taxation revenue the federal government needs to, one, meet its current financial commitments and, two, needs to expand essential infrastructure. So who are the winners in this once-in-a-lifetime achievement of a trade surplus. The winners are both the executives of overseas-based corporations as well as the head offices of the corporations who have based their head offices in low company tax havens. Trade surplus or no trade surplus, Australians are the losers in this grubby little game. It's very simple. We're the losers. Grubby little grain, losers. I mean, wouldn't it be different if the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication were actually owned by the Australian people, not overseas-based corporations? Wouldn't it be different? Wouldn't it be different if that ownership of these basic resources which are in the ground in this country was incorporated in the Australian Constitution. Now, if the ownership of Australia's mineral-rich resources were incorporated into the Australian Constitution, the profits made by mining these assets would definitely remain in the country. And that's the bottom line. What's the point of achieving a trade surplus if that trade surplus means no increased taxation revenue, if that trade surplus means no increased wages, if that trade surplus means no increased money available to meet our day-to-day needs as a people? I mean, the price we pay for the domination of Australian industrial, mining and retail sector by both local corporations and foreign-based companies that are, you know, use the globalisation, you know, to push their uh, private agenda. 
plus the amount of corporate welfare which continues to be paid to these profitable companies and the legal tax minimisation that goes on in this country means that it's time we looked at things from a different perspective. There's no point going down this road. The question of nationalisation without compensation, that's the key, without compensation of Australia's essential goods and services sectors needs to be put on the national agenda. If we want to profit and we want to share that profit through a treaty with Australia's First Nations people, we need to have ownership. Not some locally-based corporation or some overseas-based corporation, but we, the people, need to have ownership of these resources. We don't need their money to develop these resources. We can develop these resources and we can actually enjoy, enjoy the windfall, the financial windfall. But in 2017, corporate capitalism flows like mother's milk. You know? It is the essence of our being. It is in our DNA. It is what we have become. So it's time people like you and me began that struggle for the nationalisation of these assets. Not a nationalisation where the ownership of these assets is given to the state or the government of the day, so the state or the government of the day can sell those assets at any time it likes, like we've seen for the ports and the airports and Telstra and the Commonwealth Bank, and the list goes on and on. But incorporating the ownership of those assets in the Australian Constitution, so we the people are the only ones who can determine the fate of those assets. Serious times require serious options, and this is a very good way of ensuring we, the people of this country, share in the bounty that we are sitting on. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you like what you hear and you want to join public interest before corporate interest, download their application form from pipsi.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Don't have a computer, want an application form? Ring me on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. Can't get access to a phone? Have a stamp? Write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Public interest before corporate interest continues to grow at a much slower rate than I would have expected. But again, everybody thinks they've got the answer. Everybody thinks that everything's going to change without effort. Well, things don't change without effort. Look at every gain that's been made in human history from the abolition of slavery to the question of overtime payments, which we'll talk about in a minute. Think about it. It's made through struggle. And we, as a people, have a very, very, very severe 
case of historical amnesia. And I've always believed that that historical amnesia, which is incorporated in the DNA of the Australian people, is largely due to the fact that we have never, as a people, been able to acknowledge that this country was an inhabited before colonisation, that we have never really been able to acknowledge that fact. And the historical amnesia spills over into all, in all the working class, all those political and social and cultural movements which have existed in this country, which have pushed the envelope, changed the law and improved not just personal freedoms for people, but their ability to survive on this continent. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, you do know, I do tend to say that the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, our beloved ABC, has been politically gelded. And we've seen that since the Howard era. I'll give you a very simple example. Simple example. And uh, this is not, you know, rotten eggs. I don't particularly care one way or another. But in 1999, I, I appeared on an overnight program, I think once a week, and did some political analysis, you know, on the ABC about what was happening in the world. This was the time when uh, Howard was elected. Within a few months, we were asked to, you know, have a uh, Liberal Party senator to cross swords with, which, which happened and the program continued. And a few months later, not only was a segment of the program, which was Australia Overnight, um, canned, which I was involved in, but more importantly, the presenter who had done that uh, segment for years was also removed. It's quite interesting because at that particular time the big debate was about core and non-core promises and uh, poor old Johnny Howard was having the bit of a bit of a battle, bit of a battle, but they resolved it. But today things have got even worse for the government gelded at ABC. I mean, it's been a downward spiral. And anybody who listens to local radio, watches television, will know, although there are a few bright stars in the wilderness. It's mainly wilderness and uh, poor imitation of the commercial sector. And the reason is that the, and the reason things are so bad is the ABC is now an orphan. That's right. It is an orphan. The Australian Broadcasting Corporation is an orphan that nobody cares about. Nobody's willing to put their arms around the ABC and say, lovey, auntie, we're going to look after you. Yesterday, was it the day before, the current managing director of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, Madam Michelle Guffrey, was asked in a Senate's hearing what her role was. And she said it was not her role. This is the managing director. It is not her role to ask for increased funding for the ABC. Her role is to manage with what she has. So I thought to myself, well, if the management managing director won't bat for the ABC, 
maybe the minister will bat for the ABC. And the beauty about being a Liberal National Party minister for the ABC is you do everything you can to denigrate the ABC and squeeze it of funds. Then I thought maybe this Prime Minister will bat for the ABC. Well, the Prime Minister won't bat for the ABC. And then I thought maybe the board will bat for the ABC. And then I forgot that over the last two decades what we have seen is political appointments to the board of the ABC to try to destroy its capacity to present independent analysis. I'm not saying they've succeeded totally, but they've succeeded to a significant degree. I mean, the ABC, to a significant degree, has been colonised by the Institute of Public Affairs, one of the most extremist organisations on the planet. They have used the ABC as their launching pad for their political ambitions to take over the Liberal Party and push it into a neoliberal conservative direction. And they have succeeded enormously by giving people from that organisation a profile. Not because the presenters want to give it a profile, but because management and the board have insisted that organisations like the Institute of Public Affairs get a profile because it's to balance the left-wing bias. What bloody left-wing bias on the ABC? When was the last time that you heard some left-wing speaker being brought to the ABC to be some type of guest or interviewed? When do we see an analysis, a left-wing analysis? You don't see a left-wing analysis on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, although... The anti-authoritarian position and the egalitarian position, which is pushed by people from the progressive side of politics, is a fundamental part of the political DNA of this country. But it's never part of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation because they are too frightened, piss-scared. They think the left is the Australian Labor Party, the alternative Liberal Party. So when they get some extreme, authoritarian, reactionary organisation like the Institute of Public Affairs, who's their foil? Not people like you and me who've got a radical agenda, a radical egalitarian progressive agenda, but the alternative Liberal Party, as if they represent left-wing foot in this country. So I've got no sympathy for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation because it's nothing more, it has become nothing more than a mouthpiece for government propaganda. Occasionally, occasionally, the braver elements that are employed by the ABC do what they can. But the problem is, people aren't, people are employed on short-term contracts by the ABC and if they don't play the game, their contracts aren't re-signed. So people tend to self-censor. They don't tend to invite guests on their program or it's television or radio who have a more radical, progressive, egalitarian agenda. They don't bother doing that because it may, in the future, have an impact on their future employment prospects. So short-term, the introduction of short-term contracts basically made the ABC ripe for a takeover by the reactionary and neoliberal elements in our society. And what we are seeing today is the very consequence of that. You listen to The Anarchist World this week. 
broadcast across Australian the community radio satellite. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you want to leave me a message, 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Yes, I still answer letters. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to the public interests before corporate interests website, pipsy.net, pipsy.net. You can go to my personal Facebook page. No, you won't find out what type of toilet paper I use, or even if I use toilet paper. Maybe I uh, use, maybe I just lick my fingers after. Who knows? Well, I am an anarchist. You never know what they do, do you? Of course we don't. Bloody idiots. So, well, some people believe anything. Some people would elect any fool to Parliament. Look at the groper. He's doing very well, but getting back. So, ring us, mail us. Email us, join Pipsy, public interest before corporate interest. Become part of the opposition, not some marginalised group. Now, look, you know I'm involved in um, currently, um, uh, what was it, defend and extend public housing. You know, And you know, I don't know if you know, that we're having a rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House on International Women's Day from midday to 2pm on Wednesday the 8th of March. And this is part of an ongoing series of rallies which are held to highlight the issue of public housing in this country. Not just in the state of Victoria, but as I live in the state of Victoria, that's why where my major activity is. So, And on that International Women's Day, we'll have a bevy of women speakers It'll be women speakers, women presenters on the day, 8th of March, regarding Defend and Extend Public Housing. And if you want to go to the website, you can see what's going on, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. Defend and Extend Public Housing in Australia. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So, next week, on International Women's Day, the 8th of March, this program, The Anarchist World This Week, will be hosted by three anarchist women. Uh, Margaret, Ruth and Beth. They'll be hosting the Anarchist World this week, so you'll get a rest from my dulcet tones and maybe you'll listen to somebody who's got something to actually say for a change. So Margaret, Beth and Ruth will be hosting the Anarchist World this week on the 8th of March, and I'll mention that at the end of the program. So let's get back to this concept of defending and extending public housing because next Wednesday, midday to 2pm, we are having a rally outside State Parliament. Not just one rally, but this is a continuing series of rallies. This is the fourth rally, and as it falls on International Women's Day, we'll, be basic, we'll only be having women speakers on the day. That doesn't mean if you're a male that you can't attend. I'll be going. But it would be nice for us to listen instead of talking for a change, wouldn't it be? Maybe we'll learn something. So come along, defend and extend public housing rally, steps of the Victorian Parliament House, midday to 2pm. I don't expect the police overkill that we had in February, but you know, if they want to send 35, 40 police and five or six police cars, well, they're welcome. It increases the number of people that the uh, speakers, the women speakers will be speaking to. Now, I just want to continue this debate, well, 
it's not a debate, is it? There's nobody talking to me. You're just listening and shouting and turning off the radio. Now, I really find it difficult to believe that the Andrews Labor government can get it so wrong when it comes to public housing. I just don't understand what's going on. Maybe I'm dumb. Almost likely I am dumb. We have been described by the uh, Minister for Public Housing, Mr Foley, as, you know, marginals, people on the edges, people who've got nothing to say. And I'm thinking to myself, somebody who's talking about public housing is marginal, is a fringe dweller. Come on, man. We're fringe dwellers because we're talking about the concept of public housing in an era when housing affordability has become the major issue facing the majority of Australians in this country. The people like who you know, are involved in the Defend and Extend Public Housing campaign are marginal. Marginals. We're on the fringes. We're fringe dwellers. So who are? Who are the heroes and heroines of this struggle? Now, traditionally, and I'm a little bit of a traditionalist, as you know, Labor governments have built and managed public housing to put a roof over the heads of people who have difficulty in accessing both the private rental market and the home ownership market. I mean, that's the tradition, isn't it, since the 50s, since the great slum clearance programs of the inner cities, where public housing, which was built, paid for and managed by state governments with a little bit of federal support, you know, that was the model that was being used. And we all know that a strong public housing sector puts downward pressure on private rents and housing prices, especially for first-home buyers, because then you've got competition in the marketplace. You're not just... It's a mixed economy. You're not just leaving it up to the private sector to provide housing. Now, the Andrews-led Labor government, a government which is really, 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 really good at shooting itself in the foot and the genitals, I mean... They'll be in a wheelchair, but political, they're in a political wheelchair currently, considering how many times they've shot themselves in the foot, has decided to add a new layer to this mix. And I'm one of those people who believes, because I took part in the federal election campaign middle of last year, and I'm one of those people who knows, not believes, that the Labor Party could have been in power federally if it wasn't for the pig-headedness of the Andrews Labor government in terms of its the way it dealt with the CFA dispute and the way the Liberal Party jumped on that and used it as an electing, election tactic, especially in Victoria, the Labor Party could have won at least another two or three seats in Victoria and the nature of the government we had today would have been different. So the Andrews-led Labor government has a really, really bad track track record of going up the wrong political tree. Really bad track track record. I think they've got all the answers. They don't consult. Not that I think much of the Liberal National Party opposition. They're a bunch of losers. Unfortunately, the way the Andrews-led Labor government is, they're going to let these losers possibly control state parliament after the next state election, November 2018. So going back, going back to this public housing debate. 
Now, the Andrews-led Labor government, in its wisdom, in its wisdom, has decided to add a new layer to this mix. The social community and affordable housing sector. Didn't know. Maybe you didn't know there was a social and a community and affordable housing sector. I mean, these are private organisations, some not-for-profit, some for-profit, which are waiting in the wings to get their grubby little fingers into the public housing market. We've seen it in the childcare market. What happened is the privatisation of childcare. What we've seen, corporations take over childcare. The privatisation of TAFE, corporations have taken over the TAFE. And what have we seen in both of these situations, especially in the TAFE sector? Rorting to an extreme degree where billions, not millions, billions of dollars of taxpayers' money goes into the pockets of private corporations with very little return, one, to the people who've bought that education and two, to the community as a whole. So you would think the Andrews-led Labor government wouldn't be going down the same public-private partnership road that it is going in terms of providing public housing in Victoria. In its new housing policy, over $1 billion of state guarantees will be provided to the social community and affordable housing sector to raise capital from the privately owned banks to build houses they will own the titles to. So here we are, instead of building public housing, instead of building public housing, what we've got is the Andrews-led Labor government acting as a guarantor for the private sector to build public housing. And if it's a private sector so-called public housing, you know, they decide who goes in, they decide what the rents are, they decide. And that's the dilemma. You've got the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. Could you imagine that? How many public houses you could build and manage for a billion dollars? You could reduce the current waiting list to zero if you use that billion dollars, not to provide guarantees to the private sector, but to build public housing and manage public housing. You know, we'd be somewhere. Now, another $100 million. Now, these people are geniuses. Compared to you and me, these people are gold-plated, 24-carat, gold-plated geniuses. These are political geniuses. Another $100 million has been set aside so privately owned and run housing associations can borrow from the Victorian State Treasury to build housing stocks which they will own. So you've got a billion-dollar guarantee for the private banks and you've got $100 million the private treasury is going to give away at low interest rates to public housing associations to build housing. Now, we have had a major victory, and let's not forget that. We may be fringe dwellers in their eyes, 
We may be marginals in their eyes, but we have already had a major victory through four public rallies. And that major victory is that the Victorian Housing Minister, Mr Martin Foley, has temporarily stepped back from handing over public housing titles to the private sector. Concerned about the Victorian Greens' ability to win a significant number of inner-city Melbourne seats at the next state election, if they continue to give away public housing titles to housing associations, they have been forced to ditch this policy. There were no balloons in the air. There was no great announcement. I mean, the announcement was about you know having a, hundred, a billion dollar guarantee fund and a hundred million dollar treasury, you know, fund to lend to pu- privately owned housing associations. This doesn't mean that they've stopped transferring the management of public housing stock to the private sector. The management of another four thousand publicly owned units and houses will be transferred to the private sector in the next few months in Victoria. I mean, as I said before, private-public partnerships have, as we have seen in the past, increased the cost of providing services to the community. The privatisation of the energy sector, the privatisation of the TAFE sector have been disastrous for the majority of people in this country. Using public-private partnerships, no matter what, if you... You know, if you call it public housing, if you call it community housing, social housing, affordable housing. I mean, using these partnerships is a recipe for disaster. I mean, I must be grossly simple. I My IQ must be about five. Because why go for all these machinations? I mean, if the, if the public house, if the social housing, community housing... Public, you know, housing associations want to expand their empires. Let them go to the bank, cap in hand. Why should we guarantee it? Why not just build the public housing? Why not just management manage it? It has worked in the past. It continue. It continue to work. You could remove homeless people from the streets, and that reminds me. If you live in the city of Melbourne, there's a camp out, a homeless camp out outside the. Melbourne Town Hall at 4pm on Friday the 2nd of March, just in case you're interested. And it gets worse. The Turnbull government, always looking for savings, is on the verge of scrapping the multi-billion dollar national affordability agreement set up by the Rudd Labor government to increase public housing stock because the Victorian state government fiddling around with its policy of supporting and promoting social housing, community housing, affordable housing, hasn't actually built more public housing in Victoria. I mean, instead of messing around with the private sector, irrespective of whether it's not-for-profit or profit-driven, the Andrews-led Labor government should be building and managing public housing, not destroying it. So join us. On International Women's Day, here are a bevy of women speakers on the Defend and Extend Public Housing platform. Go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And if you can't make the 8th of March, 
There'll be a rally on the 5th of April, the 10th of May, the 7th of June, the 5th of July, the 9th of August, 6th of September, 8th of October, the 1st of November, and even the 13th of December. So it goes on and on and on. And if they think, you know, we are a fringe group. We are not a fringe group. Defend and extend public housing is a group of people which articulates the wishes of the Victorian community for the Andrews-led Labor government to stop messing around with the question of public housing and actually do something for the public housing sector. Something. Anything. Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, did you know... Well, I didn't know. Did you know that our Attorney-General, Mr Brandis, has a memory issue? Hmm? Maybe he should be tested. His memory should be tested. Now, I have a memory issue. I don't remember what I ate yesterday. But I usually do remember if I have a major conversation with somebody, especially if I'm prompted. Now, Mr Brandis, the Attorney-General, that's the number one, the Chief Law Officer in this country, can't remember whether he had a conversation with, I think it's the West Australian Premier, or he could have been the Treasurer. See, I can't remember, but I didn't have the conversation. Regarding, regarding uh, allowing... The, South, the West Australian government ripping off about $400 million from the Australian taxpayer. He can't remember. I mean, if I was involved in a $400 million scam, I'd bloody remember. I mean, the bloke's either incompetent or a liar. And he wants to take me to court, let's go to court. I'd love to see what evidence he has. He can't remember. He sounds one of like... He sounds, he sounds like... One of those second-rate criminals who are, you know, in the dock. Oh, I can't remember, Your Honour. Can't remember. You don't have that conversation. Can't remember. Maybe he's pissed on the day. Who knows? But this is our first law officer. We need, we need to show him some respect. Now, talking about respect, talking about respect. Look, I'm really upset about my little mate, Tony. You know, the way Mr Turnbull, or is it Turnbrill? You know, our Prime Minister, our beloved Prime Minister has denigrated. Well, he actually hasn't denigrated Tony. You can't denigrate Tony, can you? He denigrates himself. But that's another issue. The way he has blamed him for the drop in the support for the Liberal National Party in the opinion polls, it's all Tony's fault. He did it on purpose. He did it the day before the polls were held. He's trying to drive me out of office. Now, Malcolm, now, Malcolm, I know Tony's not kind of honest. I remember in 2004, and this is the thing as you get older, you, you remember things. Not like the Attorney General, Mr Brandis, who forgets things. I remember things. I remember in 2004 when I was uh, co-convener of the Defend and Extend Medicare campaign, which was another very successful campaign which basically protected and extended Medicare, like we're doing with Defend and Extend Public Housing. Very effective campaign today. But I remember in 2004 when Tony was the Health Minister, and my little mate was under a bit of pressure. So what did he do? He got his goons, right, to call up ASIO and then ASIO briefed the Herald Sun 
Murdoch's rag in Melbourne regarding the people who are running the Defend and Extend Medicare campaign. It was a personal briefing. He organised a personal briefing from this country's security agency to Rupert Murdoch's private organisation. Okay, And then he tried to use that material to try to make us look like fringe dwellers. Well, us fringe dwellers won that debate and we won that struggle as we will win the Defend and Extend Medicare struggle. But going to me mate Tony, so I know me mate, I love me mate, I love Tony. Now how can you blame Tony for the drop in the polls? How about this little decision that was made by the Fair Work Commission to strip the wages of 700,000 poorest Australians? I mean, most of the people who have had their wages stripped in the Fair Work Commission decision are not rich people. They are part-time women workers, part-time student workers, people in the restaurant industry, people in the uh, catering industry, and the list goes on and on. 700,000 stripped of their wages. And these are wages which are required for them to meet their day-to-day bills, rent, Mortgage, food, electricity, gas, school fees, school, you know, and I use the word school fees because there are school fees in public schools these days, and the list goes on and on. So you just strip away, take it away. And then they've got the audacity to blame the Labor Party because they set up the Fair Work Commission. Well, where was the federal government when the Fair Work Commission asked for submissions regarding this? particular issue. Nowhere to be seen. They didn't actually make a submission. Where is the federal government today to protect the wages of those 700,000 Australians? Nowhere to be seen. Maybe Malcolm, instead of you know berating a non-entity like Abbott and giving him some oxygen, and that's what he wants. He's a non-entity. He's a non-entity. Like you know, divided nation. Non-entities who fear on hate. You know, who live on hate. Not entities. Why don't you actually look at your policies and maybe change some of this? I forgot. You're a hostage to the neoliberals and conservatives and reactionaries in your party. Sorry, Malcolm, I'm asking too much. I'm just asking too much of you. And asking too much, 18C, 18D. I have seen the light. I have seen the light. Today I saw tears running down the faces of the IPA, and I saw tears running down the faces in Rupert Murdoch's sheltered workshop in the Australian because a committee which had been set up by the federal government to look at 18C, the Racial Discrimination Act, where it's, you know, people can be guilty of offence for, you know, humiliating offending people because of their racial origins. They lost the battle. They are beside themselves. They're plunging knives into their bodies. They're committing Harry Carey. It's just extraordinary. Extraordinary. Now, just in case, just in case you don't know what I... Go to 18D. There's 18C, 18D. 18D clearly states that if it's a matter of public interest, right, and the Racial Discrimination Act inhibits free speech then the matter of public interest takes precedent. When Gina's boy 
Mr Bolt, Gina's boy, you know, Gina's toy boy, when Gina's toy boy lost the case, and he's the only person who's actually been prosecuted to date and lost the case, when he lost the case, they used 18D as a defence. He could have done that article in a different way. He decided not to because he wanted to test the ward as well. Bad luck. 18C, 18D, who gives a shit? Cry, cry babies because nobody cares about what you think and what you are doing because you are yesterday's people, yesterday's people, and before you know it, you'll be swept into the gutters of this country. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, the number for the public, Toscano for the public. See what campaigns and issues we're involved in. Think about going along to the International Women's Day Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally on the Steps of Parliament House on Wednesday the 8th of, 8th of March. Bevy of women speakers. Don't forget, next week, this program will be hosted by... Three anarchist women. It is International Women's Day. I wouldn't have the guts to walk into the studio on that day. Ruth, Margaret, Beth, and maybe even Jill will be coming in to teach you all about anarchism, something I haven't been able to do in the last 40 years. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Join public interest before corporate interest. Download the application form. Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Stop complaining. Give up your membership of the somebody should do something about that tribe. Give up the mem- your membership of, you know, I've got to do something tribe. Just join public interest before corporates. Doesn't cost any money. Very simple, very easy. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Don't forget... This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. You can go to the Pipsy Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can go to the website, pipsy.net. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org and if all else fails you can always write us letters if you don't use the net we are inclusive not exclusive irrespective of what technology you use or what technology you don't use you can always contact us on the anarchist world this week and don't forget this program is being podcast the podcast will be available for the next six to eight weeks access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.